All right, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, we are back for another Boca podcast episode. And um, I have with me the lovely and professional and experienced, actually, Megan Brookelman. Am I, am I pronouncing your last name correctly, Megan? That is correct, but thank you for checking because it's often butchered. Okay, so it's spelled B-R-E-U-K-E-L-M-A-N. And um, I, I, maybe I lucked out in pronouncing it correctly, but that is your Instagram, Megan Brookelman. And your website as well, MeganBrookleman.com. Thanks for making time for all of us today, Megan. And um, we're going to jump right into conversation, although I will tease the topic that we're going to get into. It's something we haven't really dealt with on the podcast that much yet, anyway. And that is working, developing a, a great working relationship with your romantic partner. A pretty loaded topic, actually, and should be a lot of fun. <laughs> we'll get to that in just a second. But to begin, a 15-second answer or question and answer, if you will, very brief answer. I'm curious for you, Megan, from your experience as a photographer, and are you primarily a wedding photographer? Is that right? Yeah, I primarily do weddings and families. Okay, weddings and families. What is a principle, an idea that has enabled you to provide a really great customer experience for your clients? Sure. So I think it's really important to remember that the people you are dealing with every day are also human beings, just like you. And flexibility matters. Compassion matters. Mm. Uh, the wedding clients you're dealing with have probably never planned a wedding. So be patient. That's interesting. Yeah. It, it, as simplistic as that idea sounds, it's true. Like we, we need to show a little bit of empathy. And I think a lot of times and we talk about this a lot in the podcast, and, and I know I've been guilty of it too, just to be clear, but I think we go into situations, interactions with clients in our businesses with a bit of an ego, a little bit of a chip on our shoulder. And it's easy, like you're saying, to just kind of forget that the person on the other side is very much like us. They have, they deal with similar struggles, have similar feelings, desires, interests, and showing a little bit of empathy can go a long way. Yeah. I mean, I try and come into it with the least amount of pretension, the least amount of ego, because I have been a bride in the past and it is quite the roller coaster to to plan a wedding. So patience is key. Patience is key. Yes. That is a great piece of advice and reminder for all of us. And uh, But I want to jump to the next question. And this is one of my favorites. It's something we spend a lot of time on here at the Boca Podcast. In fact, we've started doing dedicated episodes about brand position. But I'm curious, Megan, what your brand position is. And, and for everybody listening in, you're not familiar with this, this concept, this phrase. The brand position that we're referencing is the unique value proposition, the UVP of your business and your market. What is that for you, Megan? So we create dreamy and romantic imagery in our photos and our videos without any of the fluff. So something our clients have told us they love about us is that the results are cinematic, but the process is relaxed and comfortable. So I think that's kind of where we come from as a brand. Interesting. Okay. So I want to, I want to kind of dig into it just a little bit because you used dreamy, which suggests a certain feeling if nothing else, but, but then you, you also said without the fluff. Um, how did those two concepts kind of coexist? What does that look like in a very practical way in the way that you engage with your clients? I know that that kind of seems uh, counterintuitive because I know when people describe their work as dreamy, it's often like paired with a lot of fluffy words, like <laughs> you know, wanderlust, things like that. And, you know, we come into it with with a dreamy perspective behind our lens, but the people who are taking those images, taking those videos, it's just me and Kenneth. It's its just like we are we are two people who have been in the same boat. There's no real pretension with us. Sometimes we curse with clients. Sometimes, you know. How dare it's, you? It's very, <laughs> I know. 
<laughs> it's very, it's a very uh, simplistic process. We're not going to, we don't force people to hold poses that are uncomfortable. We mm. don't do things that are unnatural. So as far as communicating that brand position to your clients, how do you go about doing that? And I'll kind of add the the side note here that I'm noticing, like when I go to meganbrickleman.com, the homepage above the fold, the first thing that I see is hi, Megan Brickleman. And then underneath that, what seems kind of like a position statement, Brooklyn-based photographer, marketer, and host of the Photo Op Podcast, shout out, by the way. Um, we'll get more details about your podcast in a little bit. But do you do you take the time to communicate this idea to your clients very specifically through messaging and email or your site or social media? How do you go about doing that? So our wedding photography website is brooklynweddingphoto.com. Oh. That's, that's the one that we use for like our client-facing you know, wedding you know, marketing efforts. I, I also have wedding photographer, you know, listed on my website because some people actually do find me through, through my Instagram okay. um, and through, through my other marketing efforts. But for Kenneth and I's brand, it's Brooklyn wedding photo. So we, you know, you can look it up if you want, but um, I actually, yeah. And I just did. And I feel terrible. My goodness. Like as an interview, I, I do the, the preparation ahead of time and somehow I totally missed your site, but I pulled it up here brooklynweddingphoto.com and then for everybody listening in as well as well brooklyn wedding photo on instagram we'll link to all of these in the show notes at bocapodcast.com so yeah i'm on the homepage of your site brooklyn wedding photo hi we're megan and kenneth and of course we're going to be talking about kenneth a little bit more here in just a bit but um, you say when there's love on both sides of the lens magic happens uh, we're New York wedding photographers that want to see you at your happiest. Every love story is unique, and we want to make sure yours is captured naturally and exactly as you want to remember it. Let us make your wedding photography experience comfortable, relaxed, and beautiful. And there's that kind of emphasis that you alluded to earlier on helping them feel comfortable, which is, you know, that that really makes all the difference in the world, I mean, especially when you're talking about the idea of empathy, as you did earlier. Can you share just as a maybe a little bonus here, something that you do for your clients in the moment that helps them feel a little bit more comfortable beyond just not putting them in, in weird poses? Sure. So normally if I'm asking them to do something, I will demonstrate it on Kenneth. And, you know, we're kind of joking around. Like I'm not gonna actually kiss him with our clients. <laughs> in front of your clients, does that feel uncomfortable? <laughs> I mean, like it feels a little weird, Okay, but no, when we're asking clients to do something, you know, I'm pretty realistic about it. And I don't say like, I, I don't ignore the fact that some things look bad in photos. Like I have a lot of clients that come to me and they're like, I'm self-conscious about this or this. Like personally, I'm self-conscious, you know, about like my chins or something. And, mm. and you know, brides have come to me with concerns like that. And I will be like, okay, well, let's work this out. Let's, let's talk about posing. And then when we're actually shooting the images, you know, uh, I won't say like, Hey, that looks bad, but I will say, you know, maybe let's take it a little slower because our faces tend to smush as humans. And mm. usually that, that makes people laugh instead of <laughs> just being like, Hey, your nose is completely flat right now against your partner's <laughs> face. You know? And you're creating a double <laughs> chin. Yeah. Yeah. So there's like a delicate balance of like being realistic with them and being down to earth, but not being critical, you know? Mm. Yeah. That's interesting. I, I think back to when I was shooting, I shot weddings for a little over 10 years or so. And one of the things that, that I would do, there were occasions where I'd set up a pose and I would at least look through the camera. Maybe I hadn't taken a shot yet. I'm realizing, you know what, this doesn't work. Whether it was because the, the, the actual setup, the background wasn't right. The composition wasn't right. Maybe they didn't look great in, in that 
particular scene. I needed to pose them differently, whatever the situation may have been. But rather than, as you were pointing out, and I think this is a really great reminder for, for photographers listening in, rather than in some way critiquing the situation out loud, the goal here is to help them feel comfortable. I would, I would actually... In some cases, I think I actually even push the shutter. I'd take a couple pictures and then I'd, we'd move on to the next thing. You know, rather than critiquing them out loud and kind of making them feel uncomfortable when they may already be nervous, I think that's a great way to go about it. Think, put yourself in their shoes. The last thing you need to do is, is to make them feel like they, they fell short in some way. Keep it positive, upbeat, continue to compliment them. And uh, I think that's a great way to go. So thanks kind of for kind of walking us through that just a little bit. But I want to keep the conversation moving because we have a lot to talk about here. Um, talk to us about delegation. Um, outsourcing is a word that we've used a lot. I think a lot of times these days, outsourcing is directly associated in photographers' minds anyway, based on conversations that I've had with editing specifically. I want to use the word delegation more because it's a concept that's applicable to any business owner, whether you have in-house employees, you're hiring a third-party company, you're delegating something to somebody else to do for you. Is that something that you've implemented in your business? And if so, what does that look like? So honestly, it's mostly just us right now working on it since we are two people and that okay. is double the resources. But, sure. you know, I've delegated certain things like web design. There was a point when I was like doing all of our website design. And one day I, I had spent eight hours working on one page and I was like, this is a waste of my time. This is a waste <laughs> of my life. Yes. Because there are people who are trained in doing that in, in two hours, you know? So true. Um, so. Web design is something that I have delegated. Um, I did have a virtual assistant for like a hot second and that didn't work out so much, but I think, you know, it's a mixture of like, when you have a virtual assistant, you have to have things in place to be able to teach them yes. like your, your systems and, yep. and how you want things. Otherwise it's, it's just back and forth of like, no, I don't like it like this. No, that's not working for me, you know? hundred percent. And I'm so glad you brought this up because this is at the root of any delegation. Um, and by the way, I'm, I'm even kind of actively now continuing to learn that very concept, which is if you're not clear about what it is, and, and I'm learning this personally with my team at Photographer's Edit and, and of course Milu as well in the development process with our customer service team and marketing, unless you're absolutely clear about first of all, big picture, what it is you're trying to accomplish and then how that trickles down to the individual task or project at hand, unless you're absolutely clear about it, the idea of then communicating that to somebody else effectively is going to be a really massive challenge. And we've seen this quite a bit in the editing world. You know, Photographer's Edit's been around for 12 years, so there's been a lot of interactions with ultimately thousands of photographers. And one of the things that we've run into many times is a lack of clarity and communication between the photographer and and our team. And that's ultimately, um, I wouldn't even necessarily fault the photographer per se, because most of us, and having been a photographer and been a sole proprietor uh, myself, I know what it's like to to be used to working with myself and for myself and not having to actually do anything outside of what's going on in here. <laughs> so when it then comes time to actually communicate an idea to somebody else. And by the way, in a way that actually resonates with them, not just saying words, but saying words that actually resonate with the other person. Uh, that's a whole different experience in and of itself, right? Like what, can you explain a little bit more detail what that experience was like working with the VA and, and some of the frustrations associated with it? Sure. Uh, I think the biggest lesson I learned there is that people are not mind readers. And yes. I mean, <laughs> I understand that a lot with, you know, dealing with our clients, but then 
when I actually hired someone out, I realized, you know, it's the same thing. I am their client at that point and they can't read my mind. They don't know what I'm looking for. And, right. you know, I, th- I think I tried to overcompensate and I wrote like way too much of what I was looking for. And <laughs> they were like, okay, let's take a step back. Too much. Yeah. Uh, Cause like, this is too much information and it's not making sense because mm-hmm. you're clearly just information dumping. Um, and I think you were correct earlier in what you said and that you have to be aware of like what you're trying to accomplish in a big picture sense when you're, when you're actually starting to outsource and delegate. It's so true. But I, and I'm laughing too, because this absolutely mirrors the experience that we've had at, at photographers that one of the things that has happened in the past is we've had photographers give us just paragraphs and, and like books of information when they're trying to communicate their editing style to us again, totally understandable. But what we ended up having to do is, is think about how we, and this goes back to kind of your original point, how do we actually set up the system to make it as easy as possible for them to communicate with us? And, and kind of, I guess, hilariously, one of the things that we ended up doing too is in, instead of kind of leaving it open-ended, when we give them a space to type in instructions, we limited it to 100 characters uh. just to encourage brevity and specificity. And uh, then, of course, it's still on us to to communicate the process effectively and continue to refine the tools to make it as easy as possible for them to communicate their preferences to us. But um, and this is not meant to be a big photographer's edit commercial. I only highlight this because it's it's so relevant. And I'm, I'm really glad that you bring this up. And it's applicable re- uh, kind of across the board. Right. It's not just about image editing. It's about administrative um, delegation. If, if you have somebody handling emails or managing your calendar or somebody designing albums for you, or even overseeing your accounting, whatever the thing might be, you have to learn how to communicate effectively. And it starts with being clear about what it is that you actually want out of the relationship, what you want this person to do. And as you pointed out, kind of big picture, knowing what you want. You mentioned accounting. That is something that I, from the very beginning of this, have delegated oh, because we are we're a married couple we have you know the wedding photography business then Kenneth does different photography on the side I do different things on the side okay it's a mess when it comes to accounting and if you are hitting the point in your business where you're dreading you know thinking about expenses and taxes and all that stuff hire out a CPA it's the best investment you could possibly make for your business yeah, it's it's so true, uh, and and that speaks so loudly by itself. Um, I have mentioned the podcast before. That was one of my biggest weaknesses as a photographer was just essentially having no clue about financial management, and then not delegating enough of that process out, and being proactive in in learning and uh, and then delegating. So yeah, we cannot stress that enough for everybody. And the first thing I'd recommend, and I, I was surprised, I had a conversation recently even with somebody who was still, I think they were still using a spreadsheet to, to manage finances. And to be clear, I understand spreadsheets can be quite powerful, but there's, there's software out there specifically designed for financial management for businesses, for your personal life. And it's also really easy to allow, especially with QuickBooks Online specifically, to invite your accountant in to give them access to the information so they can work on that for you. So if anybody's listening in, you're not, you don't have accounting software in place. The first thing I'm going to recommend is QuickBooks Online. They've, I've been using QuickBooks now since 2000, what was it? 2003 or something like that. A long time. It's, it is, it is, been vastly improved. First of all, it's online now, which means, you know, like back in the old days, we had we had to actually burn the data to CDs and take the CDs to the accountant so that they could what? import that into their software, look at the information, do the work. Yeah, I know it's hilarious, but um, 
it's it's such it they've refined the user interface it's it's relatively easy to use and again your accountant can collaborate with you so um, I'm, I'm glad that you highlight this such an important point anybody listening in, if you don't have some type of financial management in place software in place make sure you jump on quickbooks right away and it's not too late like jump on it now to make a massive difference at the even midway through this year but certainly the end of the year and prepping for taxes next year as well um, all right, we're going to keep going though. Talk to me about inspiration. This is a kind of a new question for this, this season of the book of podcast. It's easy for us, I think as photographers to kind of get sucked into, you know, Instagram feeds and, and Facebook streams and, um, just be in photography all the time. Do you find inspiration or is there a particular place outside of photography that you find inspiration that ultimately enables you to be a better photographer, a better business owner? Yes, there are a few things. I would say number one is podcasts. Obviously, I love podcasts. And I try and get out of the photography bubble, which I know I've heard a few people say at this point, but it it is a really valuable thing to do. Um, So I listen to a lot of podcasts about marketing, about Mm. copywriting, about SEO, just like, I mean, that's, that's my inspiration since I'm more business oriented. Yeah. And then in terms of, you know, getting a little more creative, uh, music is probably my my biggest creative inspiration. Uh, if you know me, you know, I've got a playlist for everything. Oh, really? I've, okay. Yeah, I've got I've got music on constantly. I have like my power editing playlist and like my I don't want to edit this playlist, you know, <laughs> for when I have to just sit there and sort through dozens and dozens of photos. So basically a lot of auditory inspiration coming in okay. on this end. Yep. And then um, I know Kenneth takes in, cause I'm, I'm trying to include him here too, but um, I know <laughs> shout Kenneth out to Kenneth. Of, yeah. <laughs> shout out to Kenneth. No, I know he takes in a lot of books, a lot of magazines. He gets a lot of inspiration uh, from fashion photography, mm. even though, you know, we primarily do weddings. He does look through, we, I, my laptop, right now is sitting on a stack of magazines like this high right yeah. now. So there's something still so enjoyable about having that, that tangible magazine, the physical magazine to look through. Um, one of the things that I do when I, when I go through airports, cause I, I travel a decent amount um, is it's fun to just go to the magazine racks and, and look through magazines too. And occasionally I have, I think maybe right now one or two subscriptions that I got using airline miles or something. Um, but it's fun to get the physical magazine every once in a while. Does does he get um, what's it? Is it? I think it's called W Magazine. Yes. So we have lots of copies of W, okay. but we also have a lot of. I'm staring over at the shelf right now, but we have a lot of like independent uh, magazines as well. So there's Exhibition, which is a magazine that's like huge. Yeah. It's humongous. And then we have a lot of smaller things as well. You know, there's Drift Magazine, which is about coffee. There's like. Hmm. It's it's wild. There's tons of there's tons of really uh, interesting inspiration in independent magazines out there because there's there's a niche magazine for everything. There are magazines just for artistic photos of dogs or or things like that. Huh. So you know, there's a lot out there to discover. No, there absolutely is. There, it's it's fun. I've even in the past I've gone to Books a Million. And maybe I'll get a coffee or something and I'll sit down and just like grab some magazines and go through them for inspiration. And it's not just for, and in fact, for me, it's been more kind of design inspiration, looking at design and layout. W Magazine, when they kind of early on, I guess, when they were maybe relatively new, or at least when I first found them, the magazine format was even bigger than it is now. So it was unusual, kind of stood out. 
um, kind of minimalistic layouts and and many of the pages in the magazine, some pretty edgy photography as well. Um, and there was quite a bit of inspiration there. They've, they've seemed to have toned it down a little bit. The magazine's gotten a little bit smaller too, but that was one that I, that I would recommend anyway. Um, still probably would recommend it, but yeah, I, I love the tangible process of looking through magazines, but you mentioned podcasts. Is there a particular one or two podcasts that you recommend when it comes to marketing specifically that you think our listeners might find value in? I really like the six figure freelancer. Um, I really, really like, um, Marie Forleo. And then of course, Amy Porterfield. Okay. One of my favorites because her advice is so good. I can't believe she gives it away for free. Wow. Okay. Uh, That that speaks highly of her. Um, we'll link to those podcasts in the show notes at bookapodcast.com. Talk to me about a self-help book, maybe a business book that you've read in the last few years that that's been particularly impactful. Sure. So like I said, I listen to a lot of podcasts. I'm not, I am not reading a ton, but that being said, I wanted to bring up kind of actually something that was almost anti-inspiration. And I know that I know that you've talked about the four hour work week on the podcast before. Yeah. I read this. I I started to read it, then I converted to the audiobook so I so I could edit photos, but I listened to the whole thing over the course of a week and something about it just rubbed me the wrong way. And I, I, I was working a remote job as like my full-time job at the time. Mm. And then like doing my photo stuff on the side. And it actually ended up kind of being anti-inspirational where I was like, well, this is exactly the experience I don't want to give people. I don't want my interactions with my husband to be through a virtual assistant. You know, I don't, I don't want to be out skiing well, while someone is taking care of what I need to be taking care of and giving people a very personal experience. Because I I went into it really being like, I wonder if this is like helpful for optimizing my life. But then I, I think I came out of it. And and maybe I just like, I know it's not supposed to be taken literally. Yeah, but I don't know, it didn't work for me. But something sorry, go on. Oh, no, no, I was just curious. It was it was it a just more of a desire on your part to have the the tangible interaction between you and the people that you are working with? Was that a lot of where that came from? I think so. I think a lot of what I do involves like very personal interaction. Like I, I have been texting my brides, uh, checking in on them because of the coronavirus right now. You yeah. know, I'm, it's all very personal. Um, even when they're first booking us, you know, the majority of our, our clients come from through Instagram, and then it goes to DM, then it goes to email, then it goes to a phone call, then a meeting, then an engagement shoot. So wow. it's all very, it's all very involved and very personal. And I, I had a hard time like envisioning anything in my life, like removing the personal, personal touches. Like I let my brides text me because honestly, sometimes they just need to, because they, again, they've never done this before. Mm. So there's, there's just a lot of, a lot of like, personal emotional interaction yeah and and like I tried to envision a world where I was like what if I let a VA handle my inquiries and I'm like that that kind of takes away the whole part of our business that's like a a relaxed nonchalant experience you know yeah no I, I totally get that I and I'm glad too that you highlight though that that book isn't necessarily meant to be taken literally and he's Maybe you've heard this too, but he's come out since and said that very thing. He's like, people, obviously the, the title was catchy and it gets people's attention. Yeah. Um, but 
he's pointed out the fact that it wasn't meant to be taken literally in the sense that he expected, you know, everybody to go out and do actually work four hour work weeks. The flip side of the conversation um, and what he pointed out ultimately is what he's trying to convey in the book. Uh, if anybody listening has not read this book, The Four Hour Work Week by Tim Ferriss, we'll link to it in the show notes. In fact, I think we have it in our uh, the Boca Bookshelf dot uh, com. <laughs> we actually created a, a list of the most referenced books on the on the podcast for anybody that's curious. But um, he, he what he was ultimately trying to convey was intelligent, intentional ways to go about working efficiently so that you can maximize the, the freedom, the flexibility that you, that you could have as an individual and even more specifically a business owner. Um, and I will say that when I started reading that book, I was already beginning to implement similar ideas in my business starting Photographer's Edit. I, I, part of the reason I wanted to start Photographer's Edit was because I wanted even more freedom and flexibility than I had as a photographer. And so these the book resonated with me. And not so ironically, maybe within the span of, I'd say about three years after starting the company, I was literally able to work as little as about four hours a week. Because fortunately, I had a wonderful team of people behind the scenes that were that were getting the work done, that were handling customer service, that were managing logistics. So there is a way to actually make it happen. It's not that it's such a pipe dream. But the big caveat here that you've highlighted so beautifully is that it's also dependent on the brand. What What's the the brand the business model, ultimately the experience that you're trying to create, both for the sake of your own fulfillment, but also for the fulfillment of your end client. And the type of business model that you've created doesn't work well on four hours a week. And it doesn't work yeah. well and delegating all the interaction to somebody else. You want to actually create that personal interaction. I still think that there are ways that we can work efficiently that maximize freedom, maximize flexibility. We talk about these a lot on the podcast. Yeah. But I, I love that you bring this up because ultimately, yes, the business model has to be con considered and um, it's not just a matter of saying, eh, I'll let somebody else handle it necessarily. <laughs> no, exactly. And I definitely, I found it from the book of bookshelf. So that is, that is how I did get into it. That's funny. Um, okay. But yeah, if anyone does end up reading it, like I do think there are helpful like you said, helpful optimization tips, but also mm -hmm. if your business model relies on you having very personal relationships with the people you work with, you have to like take some things with a grain of salt, you know? It's it's true. And I think where I would push back and is, is to say that if the focus of your business or your business model is ultimately on that personal interaction, um, then then the question is where else in your business, not just specifically you, Megan, anybody listening in, where else in your business can you create further optimization or efficiency for the sake of flexibility? And actually, I'm curious too. You said you manage your own editing. Is is there like what's the driving factor behind kind of keeping that in house? Because I know that can take up a lot of time. So right now we do it in house just because that is you know we that's that's there's no reason. <laughs> <laughs> I love the honesty. <laughs> we, uh, you know, I I. I'm very personally attached to the work yeah. and so it, ma it makes it pretty easy. Like we normally get our weddings turned around in like less than two weeks okay. and we're doing both photo and video editing. And, um, I have not found the ability to let go of that one specific part of the <laughs> Man, it's the video, like a very, that's it, no, I get it. It's very personal, right? Yeah, the, the, I was going to say the video editing is, um, you know, we actually looked into launching a company to handle video or to, to do post-production for video as well. And when I started looking into it a little bit more, the, the information being shared by videographers about the amount of time they were spending in post-production, I mean, I think it's bad enough with wedding photographers, 12 to 16 hours is kind of the, the average per wedding. 
but video goes like double, triple that, right? Mm -hmm. Video editing, it can be a pain, but it's honestly one of the most satisfying feelings when you are done editing a video. But until you get to that point, the fact that you can spend an eight hour day working on 30 seconds of video. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> it takes a strong will to to get to that point you know i can only imagine but yeah you're right that the end products like and when i see a, a great wedding video paired with just the right music it can put me in a pretty emotional state pretty quickly um I, yeah. it can be really really fulfilling i'm sure and I, and I also wanted to bring up in terms of inspiration from books that I've read, I have it beside me because I wanted to get everything right, but it's called How to Not Always Be Working, a Toolkit mm. for Creativity and Radical Self-Care. So it's actually along the same lines. I think it's actually very similarly, like along the same lines of the four-hour work week okay. in its concept, but the execution is very different. So you know, as the as the book describes it on the back, this book is a labor of yes, a labor of yes to saying, or a labor of saying yes to the process, a labor of showing up, taking time, taking a time out. You can read it all in one go and take notes. You can fill the blank page with your own lists. Basically, the book is a mix of a workbook and a book book. It's got some things about, you know, taking care of yourself, you know, creating daily ideals, figuring out what can actually be optimized in your business and figuring out when to shut off. And I think uh, in millennial and Gen Z culture in particular, that is something that is not at all highlighted. There is a big emphasis on hustle culture and having the hustle, having the side hustle, having the side hustle, hustle, you know, right. and working 18 hour days is glamorized, you know, right. working around the clock to always be hustling, like never stop moving. It's really glamorized. And as someone who came from an entire world of that, because before this, I was doing fashion, I was I was doing production. And that was pretty much that lifestyle. Um, I can say it's, it's super easy to burn out. And when people applaud you for how hard you're working, that's awesome, but it shouldn't come at the cost of your health. So and, and your relationships too, which is not so ironically what we're going to be talking about today. <laughs> um, I actually, as you were talking, I, I um, brought up the the book on Amazon. So I've, I've downloaded a sample I've added to my list because I'm really curious to hear kind of like you're saying another perspective on this idea that might be a little bit different than, than Tim Ferriss, how to not always be working a toolkit for creativity and radical self-care. That's by Marley Grace. And we'll link to that in the show notes at bocapodcast.com as well for everybody that's curious. Um, but let's actually get into kind of the meat of our conversation too, because this is a pretty loaded topic. Um, you mentioned your husband, Kenneth earlier, first of all, tell me, and we are going to delve into how you all have made or developed a working relationship, how you make it work, um, and keep your relationship healthy in the meantime. But tell me a little bit of the backstory too. How did you all meet? Roundabout story, but the gist of it is that I'm originally from Canada and, I ended up going to college in Florida for a year and a half okay. uh, when, I, when I went to art school and I met him there and he was in a different year than me, different place in life. And he asked if he could take my picture, of course. And just I as like part of a project or what, what was it? He was just taking portraits of people. Oh, okay. I I then became one of those people and I never ended up seeing the photos until 
like our marriage, but he just took some portraits of me in the studio. No way. We went on our way. Yeah. And then I ended up dropping out of that school, moving home for a while. And then, you know, X, Y, and Z brought me to New York where I was going to be a fashion person. Okay. And the same year I moved to New York, Kenneth actually moved to New York and came out here and we reconnected because we, we just kind of stayed in touch over Instagram, over, over Facebook, but not really like, not even like checking in with each other that much, just kind of like existed in the orbit. Sure. I know it's really long winded. No, no, you're fine. (laughs) But he ended up coming to New York and I was working at my college studio and he was like, can I take pictures of you? Um, Apparently he likes to photograph you. (laughs) That's awesome. He does. He does. You know, he still does. And um, yeah, so we ended up kind of reconnecting over that. I did end up seeing those photos. (laughs) And yeah, from there, I started working on his production. Hmm. So we were setting up like model tests and little editorial shoots. And I was doing the production. Yeah, we ended up together from there. And married one day and that's pretty exciting <laughs> how long have you been, been married uh we got married in february of 2019 oh we're very recently so a year or so congratulations you're you're already accomplished yeah and um you know we were together longer than that and then i sure. had known him even longer so it was just like a another exciting step yep another iteration in the relationship well so this idea of working together, was this something that you had had thought about or talked about for a long time? Did it just kind of naturally happen? How did it come about? So for the wedding business, it really was a snowball where, like I said, I was working on, you know, small production efforts for him. And then we were collaborating on some of those shoots. And then he actually inspired me to pick up a camera again when I... I, at that point, had resigned myself to being like, I will be an editor and a producer and I will work at a desk forever. Um, (laughs) So I started picking up a camera again and things really snowballed. We ended up working at the same fashion agency where I was doing production. He was doing archival work. Like this is after we started dating. We just ended up working at the same place. And then we both left that job. I did something else completely unrelated And he started freelancing and doing food shoots and events and fun stuff. And I had this background of already of doing wedding photography, where I actually started doing wedding photography when I was 14. Wow. Yeah. And uh, so it, it really came as a natural progression where I ended up eventually leaving my job. We were doing full time weddings at at that point. And that's where we are now. It's been a snowball. A snowball, yeah, kind of a progression. You mentioned to me ahead of time that the, you have two different working styles, and this is kind of to be expected when you have two different personalities, right? Um, I, I worked with my partner for for the longest time as well, and we were vastly different as far as our personality types, working styles, and so forth. What does that look like for you all? What's the different working styles look like on a day-to-day basis on a very practical level? So this is this is an interesting thing to think about because – it took me a really long time to understand that people don't function the same as each other. And <laughs> I, I know, you know, I mentioned this earlier where it's like, you have to have compassion for fellow humans. And yeah. I think, I think I had to find that first in our working relationship before mm. it really like came into our client experience. Mm-hmm. Um, 
So I am an early riser and I get up at six and I start my day. I do my emails, Pinterest, whatever, whatever is on the plate for that morning. And, you know, I grew up that way where, where I was always getting up early and I had a big head start on the day as I would put it in a fast life. Um, but no, I, I am very, very productive in the morning. And then by 3 PM, I'm just burnt toast. That's all I You're am. Done. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And Kenneth, on the other hand, wakes up, you know, walks the dog, has his coffee, plays some video games, really enjoys his morning, really yeah. enjoys the day. And, uh, you know, come come sunset, it's like a different, it's like a different human. And he is on it. He is like editing photos. He's like doing research, finding gear. Yeah. And I, I just, I couldn't process for such a long time how like how people can't just wake up and and be you know a hundred percent and it turns out people need coffee people need breakfast sometimes people need lunch you know <laughs> before they can actually get going <laughs> yeah, yeah so i i even i even sensed a little bit of jealousy there you're like he actually enjoys his day he's playing video games he's walking the dog <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I I am definitely very jealous of of that ability to do that. I think, and yeah. it's just like I I am not wired that way, and I know that if I don't do things right when I wake up, right when I start my day, I'm not going to do them. Hmm. And sometimes I even schedule emails out so I don't send them at six thirty in the morning because that would seem like a crazy person. Uh, well, and if nothing else, you're at least managing your client's expectations that you're not going to be responding to them at all hours of the day and night, right? Exactly. That is something, like I said, I have a very personal relationship with my clients, but I do try and keep things to a limit. Yeah. Like not answering at 11 p.m. and scheduling that email to go out at eight the next morning. Uh, <laughs> but no, I am I am a little jealous that like, I, I would love to make breakfast and go for a walk but like I know if I do that then I'm gonna then I'm gonna end up getting on a subway going to a store hanging out by the water I don't know just not not being any any productive person but you you were kind of alluding to the the what seemed like anyway a process maybe I'm reading into it a little bit but seemed like a process of learning how to respect his working style in in comparison and contrast to yours and I can absolutely like 110% relate to this because and you talked about the way that you're wired I think that a lot of the way that we're wired anyway is is rooted in the way that we were brought up the lifestyle that we experienced as kids I know for me I was brought up in in a very very strict home my dad in particular was highly structured highly disciplined and there was a very specific way that you did things and so when when I left home and I got married at a very young age, even the idea of going on vacation with my my partner at the time with with her family, it was an experience that was so foreign to me because growing up, I would go to like we'd go on a quote unquote vacation, which you know of course the idea is to get away from regular life and take a break, but you I mean things were like scheduled out and planned out and you did this and a certain amount of time then we're going to go do this thing and and lunch is going to be here and you need to be down here at you know and there was just always a way and a place yeah. and a time. And so that was how I was brought up. I went on vacation um, with with my partner and she, her family, like they go to the beach for a week. And the idea of vacation to them was you get up in the morning, maybe have some breakfast, you go down to the beach and you lay out 
or you go to the pool and you lay out and you don't do anything. And then maybe you go fishing. And that was kind of it. I'm like, I, this idea of just sitting and being was such a foreign concept to me. It's, it felt uncomfortable, but it was because what is what I was used to and the way that I was wired because of the way that I was, that I was taught, that I was brought up. Um, and so not that was, I guess ultimately very similarly when it came to working with her as well, similar, similar ideas kind of played out. Whereas I was used to a bit more structure I, where I liked the idea anyway, a bit more structure. She was more laid back and, and her working style, um, I, th- I think for me personally, anyway, there was enough ego going on that it was hard to respect a different working style. There was just this assumption like this is the way, again, the way that I was brought up, right? This is the way you do things and anything outside yeah. of that, like how dare you? How can, how can you think that that's a great way to, to, to go about doing things? And the reality is, like you said, we're all, we all have our, we're all human beings that have different interests, needs, desires, and heaven forbid, we might also be able to get things done in a different way. And so we have to learn to respect that. Uh, as funny as that might seem, how how did you learn to respect that? And did that take a bunch of time? I feel like you just, you know, told a very similar story to my life. That okay. was wild. So, I mean, it it was a process of of learning to respect that. And one thing that we do in our relationship overall is communicate. And sometimes yeah. we over communicate, I think. Um, but in the beginning, I, I couldn't fathom it. And I know that based on your story, you have been in that boat. Because I, I absolutely couldn't fathom it, and I would be like, "Why? Why aren't you doing this?" And I would put pressure, and I would, hmm. I would say things like, "Have you done this yet?" And it's like eleven in the morning. He he got up like an hour ago. He just took a shower, and I'm like, "Oh, did you do this?" And I'm, you know, it's it, that wasn't respectful, and that wasn't respectful of his needs or or his wants, and you know, I also decided to put myself in those shoes and hmm. realize like you know, after three or four in the afternoon, I want to like lay on the couch and watch the bachelor. You know, I don't, (laughs) I don't want to be doing a lot after that point in the day. And, and I can't imagine someone coming to me and being like, why aren't you doing this right now? Hmm. And, you know, I think a lot of it does come from the way that I was brought up as well. You know, I, it's not necessarily that I came from a strict household, but I came from a schooling experience where it was six days of school a week and you start your day at 8 a.m. and you end your day at 8 p.m. Wow. So there were a lot of like mandatory extracurriculars and Mm. a lot of fun stuff like that. So I think going into adulthood, I didn't know what free time was. Um, And like I mentioned, you know, I ended up working in fashion, working the hustle as they would call it. Which probably only further solidified that idea of just like hard work all the time, right? Yeah. And it really reinforced that. And you have a bunch of people around you all the time being like, wow, yes, you're, you're doing it. You're still in the office. That's amazing. And it's like, that's, that's not amazing. And you know, Kenneth and I, again, were in the same office and it would be 7 p.m. And he would have wanted to go home two hours ago, but we're commuting with each other, you know. So, I mean, yeah, it, it took a lot of like communication and understanding, honestly, on my part. And like, I like to think that I, I am a patient and empathetic person, but I also understand that we are humans. And I know that's like an underlying theme here. And, you know, I needed to have patience with myself to get to that point where where you have to understand that people are people are people. And, you know, I don't like eggplants and maybe someone else does. And <laughs> Preferences, right? You know. I mean, at the end of the day, if, if something isn't getting done, 
you might be able to make an argument for a different style of working. But if the, if the work's getting done, the client's having a good experience, and there's different ways to get to that end goal, then yeah, what actually is wrong with it in the end? You're right. I mean, different. We're we're, we're wired, quote unquote, wired differently based on our largely based on our personal experiences. And we just have to respect that there are different ways to go about getting things done. And this is a really great reminder, but this is highly relevant too, to, I think the conversation around working with significant others. I worked with my ex for, for years. And one of the things that I realized now in hindsight, and she, she could probably speak to as well. In fact, I'm going to have to have her on the podcast at some point. She's a really talented <laughs> photographer. Her name is Amber. But I think as we got married really, really young, we got married at 20 and started working together, I guess, around 21, 22 and so we just lacked a lot of perspective and experience in life to begin with. But one of, you mentioned the word over-communicating or over-communicated. And I, I want to kind of dig into this just for a second, if you don't mind, because I felt like that was something that we, that we did at times. There was a positive side to it in that we, we knew each other pretty well, um, or at least it seemed like we did. In fact, we used to play, we'd get together with friends and we would play the, the newlywed game. Um, have you ever heard of the newlywed game, like the show, the TV show? Oh, I have seen it at countless weddings. Okay. Yes. Yeah. So they have like a board game version of it, which is actually a lot of fun to play with friends. And we'd find ourselves hanging out with friends. And just because we did have a tendency of, I mean, we spent a lot of time together working together and we did talk quite a bit. And so we knew each other pretty well. And we ended up doing really well in these games where, you know, our friends might go home mad at each other because they happened to find out during some piece of information that they didn't know about their partner during this game because it was actually encouraging conversation. Um, so that was kind of the, the relationship that we had, and uh, at least early on. And, and yet I feel like in some ways the overcommunication at times was in, in some ways kind of detrimental. So just for the sake of, of this topic of conversation and how do we best work with our significant others, can you speak to that overcommunication? Do you find that there is a detriment at some point? How does that tie to the business? Yes. So, I mean, in relationships, in business, in life, if you are talking about something and talking about something and talking about something mm. and you are having the same conversation over and over again, um, that's not communication. That's that's talking. And, you know, there's either one party or both parties. They're not listening to each other. Interesting. They're not they're not actually absorbing the information. And that's kind of how I look at it. Like when I say that, you know, there was over communication at times, I think it was just like reciprocal conversations where no one was budging. Mm. And by no one, I mean me. (laughs) (laughs) So like maybe I wasn't budging on something. I have Um, to admit, I would I would raise my hand and say I was guilty of the same. Yeah. Yeah. And so when you're having the same conversation for the fifth time, you have to take a step back and be like, why are we actually talking about this? And Mm. what what can we do to actually progress this issue instead of just just coming to a wall and being like okay I'll change or okay something will go differently and that that doesn't lead to anything productive you know just just asking someone to change what they do in their day or or you know a way that they do something that's not productive yeah you're right you have to go beyond that because you can get stuck in that conversation but what is the actual end goal and if there's if there's a kind of um, resistance to it or stubbornness to it, what's at the root of that resistance? Um, as 20, 21, 22, 23, 24-year-olds, myself and, and my partner, we didn't tend to kind of think that objectively and, and critically. Um, so this is really a good reminder. And we could probably go really deep in this conversation. We'll, yeah. we'll, we'll cut that piece off yeah. for, for the time being. But I really appreciate you being willing to share a little bit about that because I think it's an, a very relevant conversation. You know, it's, it can be a really difficult thing to 
day in and day out work with your significant other. I mean, you're doing life together, you're doing business together, you're in each other's space quite a bit. Even if you work in the same house, maybe you work in different rooms or something like that. In fact, I'd be curious to know a little bit more about that, but you're still working together quite a bit. And um, so it can be easy then for conflict to come up if if you're constantly in each other's space all the time, it's important to learn how to look at those situations a little bit more objectively and critically, learn how to step away ultimately instead of going through those repetitive. I love I love how you describe that, like that it, when, when it's repetitive conversation, it's not communication. You're just like making noise with your mouth, the same noises yeah. with your mouth over and over yeah. again. That's not real communication. Might be a good time to step back for a little bit, take a break, and, and then maybe come back to it with a little bit more critical eye. Do you all work in the same room? Do you have different rooms that you work in, different office spaces? So I had a co-working space for a little bit, but mostly uh, Kenneth has his desk in the living room. I have mine in the bedroom because we are in a New York apartment ah. and not a lot of options. But yeah. um yeah, we, you know, sometimes it'll be us at our desks just doing our separate things. And then sometimes, I mean, we are in bed with our laptops side by side watching. I keep saying The Bachelor because the finale just aired. But Oh, did it? Okay. Yeah. But watching something on TV um, and, you know, we'll just be chatting while we're while we're sitting plugging away. So, I mean, it, it just depends on the mood and what we're actually doing. Like if I'm video editing, I'm sitting at my desk just with my noise canceling headphones all day. No, no conversation, but yeah. So I guess it depends. And, you know, I also wanted to go back a little bit and talk about, you mentioned earlier, you know, showing a respect for one another. And I think that that counts for showing respect for people's space as well. Mm. And like, if you need space and you're working with each other, it's important to respect that, but as well showing each other respect in an emotional sense and in a business sense. Mm. And I want to cover Kenneth very clearly shows a lot of respect for me in the business. And I appreciate that. And I, I try and show him the same. Uh, one thing that I think is actually kind of a big issue to cover, but uh, we don't have to dive too deep into it, but it's the underlying sexism in what we do. Mm. Sometimes there are male clients that try and defer specifically to Kenneth. Oh, yeah. If we're talking contracts or we're talking finances or something like that, they will... I've had someone personally or CC Kenneth's personal email on the conversation when he wasn't involved in it whatsoever. And, you know, there... Or if we're at a wedding, people, even though, like, I'll be shooting the bride and shooting some of that stuff, you know, people will still approach Kenneth and be like, what's next, chief? And uh, that is... That is, yeah, and he makes a point with our clients, with potential clients, with random people that we're dealing with, you know, go talk to her about business stuff because I don't care about it. (laughs) (laughs) And I I do appreciate that, that very, like, open show of respect in the relationship. Absolutely, yeah. Keeping yourselves on the same plane and making sure, I I like that he's doing that proactively. I think that's really cool. That, That does say a lot for for him, his perspective, and then, like you said, the respect that he's showing you as well. And you also mentioned space, and it reminds me of, a, I've brought up this book on the, the show before, I'm not sure if you've heard of it, called Mating in Captivity. Have you heard of this book? I have not. So Esther Perel is is the author, um, and 
this was one of the most eye-opening books um, a number of years ago that I read and, and gave me a perspective on relationships that I just never had before. It was, it was very, my perspective was kind of limited and, and or not even kind of, it was extremely limited. And this was one of those books that, that was really a turning point for me and helping me understand what it takes to create a, a, a long-lasting passion in a relationship. Because, you know, I mean, ultimately, I don't, I don't really care to be in a relationship to have like a glorified roommate, right? I, I actually want to feel something. I think for me anyway, personally, part of the enjoyment of being in a romantic relationship is to actually feel that thing. And I realize these intense feelings aren't going to exist 100% of the time, but I do want to, to work to maintain a certain level of that um, consistently. And Esther Perel speaks to the significance of respecting the other the person's space, kind of what you were saying, creating a certain amount of tension, positive tension, by respecting the other person's individuality. And she gets into what that can look like by sharing various case studies. Uh, she's a psychologist. And it's a really fascinating study in what it takes to ultimately create long-lasting passion um, or passion in a long-term relationship. Highly recommend it, not only to you, but for everybody listening in, if you're working with a partner uh, or even you just want to, to further kind of spice up uh, or continue to maintain a certain level of excitement in your relationship, in a long-term relationship, it's a fascinating perspective, really thought-provoking, really, really good stuff. But there is, as you point out, some significance in giving the other person space intentionally, respecting their individuality. Um, I mentioned I come from a, a strict background. It was also kind of a, it was a very conservative religious background too. And associated with that was this idea that I think at this point, and in many ways is harmful, um, of you hear the phrase, the two shall become one. You hear that a lot at weddings, right? And, and, and you're creating this picture of these two people that become one person. And, and I think in, in, a, um, in a very simplistic way, it's, it's not healthy uh, in many instances, this idea that two people are becoming, because it's not, it's not reality. We have two individuals, two different personalities, interests, desires, etc. And it's a wonderful thing to learn how to compromise. It's a wonderful thing to learn how to respect the other, the differences in that, um, and learn to ultimately create a, a relationship, a long lasting relationship. But th- th- that's still an individual on the other side of you there. And respecting that in various ways um, can ultimately create a long lasting excitement about the other person through this, this tension, uh, positive tension to be clear. And, um, anyway, so I'll, I'll leave that. We'll link to the, um, the book in the show notes, but I can't recommend yeah. that, that book enough. There's a Ted talk too, that she's done. So kind of a 13 to 15 minute summary. If you're curious, we'll link to that in the show notes for everybody. You can see that on YouTube, highly recommend the books, really good stuff. Yeah. I mean, I'm really curious about that. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and I want to talk and want to respect your time. And of course, everybody's listening in too. just a few more questions here. When you talk about, working together, how do you, I mean, I know you have different working styles and I love the fact that you're intentionally trying to show respect to those, those working styles. But when it comes to the actual responsibilities, the things that have to get done, understanding your working styles, how do you break up those responsibilities day to day, week to week? Sure. So kind of, kind of the underlying thing here again is communication and understanding. So how we kind of figured out our strengths is to talk about, what made us anxious in the business, what made us excited and kind of figure out, yeah, kind of figure out where we fit best into which roles. So, you know, he's doing a lot of equipment prep research into, into things we need or places we can shoot. Uh, he does scouting. He does a lot of like, he did the lighting setup for this podcast. Uh, <laughs> 
And, uh, you know, and he also does a lot of uh, shooting for for kind of like engagement parties and like these events that we don't really need two people at. So he's very technical. He's very precise. And he's very like, he's very much a perfectionist. And that is all stuff that I genuinely, it's not that I don't care about it, but it's it's stuff that stresses me out. Like, I don't want to have to think like... I I photographed on my Canon 5D Mark II for 10 years and I was using a thrifty 50 uh, and two plastic broken on lenses for 10 <laughs> years. And, you know, I understand that it's, it's about the photographer and not the equipment, but also when it comes to people's lifelong memories, it turns out you want to be able to provide them, you know, the best options for uh, longevity in their images. <laughs> of course, Kenneth puts a lot of care into the equipment that we do use now, which is not anything that I just listed. And he puts a lot of time into making sure everything's prepared, everything is perfect for the clients, and he he really cares about all the technical aspects, which honestly, you know, I'm so grateful for because again, like it's not like I don't care about it. I see the value in it. It's just there's there's things that excite me and and those are not them. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but this is and I don't want to interrupt the flow here, but I, I really love the distinction that you made between anxious and excited. These are like two key words that lead the conversation when it comes to, okay, how are we going to break up these responsibilities? What are you excited about? What am I excited about? What am I anxious about? What stresses me out? What don't I like? And let's let's make this list for each, you know, for for ourselves. Each of us make these lists, and then we can compare notes and figure out what what uh, we're going to do moving forward. That's that's a really cool approach. Yeah, I mean, we're two little anxious puppies. So, <laughs> you know, we've both worked in jobs where we have hated getting up every morning mm. to go to them, and we kind of dug into the reasons why we Smart. didn't like specific things um, and made sure that if we were going to have a job together, we were going to be excited about it. So, so, you know, that's, that's kind of the philosophy there because I want to be excited about what we're doing every day, especially since our clients are excited, they're getting married and we're not going to show up and be like, this is just another job for us. You know, I, I want, I want us to give people a positive experience and that starts with giving each other a positive experience. So that's so good. So you were saying that he likes the the technical side of things. You're not totally into that. So he spends time on that side. What are there any other elements that he also enjoys that he's working on? And then I want to get into what you like to do. Yeah, I mean, he does he does really precise editing. Um, okay. So I will, I do like the editing for our wedding jobs, but he does really precise editing for for some of the smaller things like some of the parties or family shoots or kind of the offshoots of our wedding brand okay. for past and present clients. Okay. And he is the kind of guy who will sit there and get rid of every speck of dust on a, on a photo. <laughs> you know? And and his work is absolutely beautiful, which is something I I just don't have the patience to achieve. And then in terms of what I'm doing for the business, it's it's all the business. Uh so you know, I, I take care of all those logistics. I deal with the finances and the contracts and the production because those are the things that I have experience in. Those are the things that actually excite me and dealing with, you know, the initial client consultations and stuff because mm-hmm. it's also hard to have a consultation with two people, but usually it's me, you know, bringing the front face and client experience. And that also includes, you know, our client gifting and, yep. and communications and things like that. Mm -hmm. And then kind of the only thing that we both work on besides just shooting the wedding or shooting whatever we're shooting 
is, you know, our client communications once once they are our clients, you know, at that point, we're talking to them both because the guys sometimes like to talk to Kenneth. And I get that, like, Kenneth has been a groom, he has relatable experiences that I can't relate to and vice versa for the brides. Well, so I mean, you've, and it, it really is, you alluded to this earlier, but the similarities between the way that that you work with Kenneth, quite similar to the way that, that Amber and I used to work together too, but focusing on contracts, logistics, finances, client communication. You said the meeting the meetings. I used to do the meetings as well. We had an, an office set up in our home. And so they would come to the office and I would usually handle those meetings. Do you all, this is kind of a, a funny question, but uh, one of the things that Amber and I used to do when we were shooting together, we would bring these images back from, from the wedding because we were shooting mostly weddings. Uh, at least when we were shooting together, it was usually weddings. And um, we'd see a really great image and it was like, who shot that? Wait a minute. Did, did you get that? Or did I get that? Cause that's a really great image. And we were shooting Nikon and Nikon at the time, maybe Canon does this now too, but at the time Nikon, you could change the prefix on the, the file name. And so we, we named the files uh, with our initials so that when we were going through the images later on, it was very clear who had gotten that awesome image and we could take credit for it, uh, which is kind of a funny I thing. Love it. Do you get, do you get competitive at all when it comes to the shooting? No, it's not competitive. It's more of like, we're going through the images and I'm like, oh, this is really cute. Look at it. And then he'll be like, good job. And like, he'll really (laughs) cheer me on. Or like, if there's one that, if there's one that he got that is just, you know, jaw dropping, I am, I, I commend him and I'm like, Kenneth, I wish I took this. Like, that's, that's like my small level of competitive. That's your way. Okay. (laughs) He is. He's not competitive, but I, I have a tendency to be a little more competitive. Sure. Um, so, you know, his communications are really cheering me on and my communications are like, oh my God, I'm so jealous that you took yeah, this. Yeah, I know? wish I had gotten that. <laughs> yeah, but no, I think there's a lot of just cheerleading when it comes to like actually going through our images and mostly we're just like making sure that one of us got the shot. Yeah. Like, like we know how to get the shot, but I think every photographer fears every single day that they're not going to get the shot. So Could it's totally, more so relief. Yeah, very much can relate to that. And that is one of the wondrous things about photographing with your partner or just another photographer in general, um, making sure that they've got your back because you're like, oh, shoot, like I totally or, you know, it turned out blurry. Did you get that? Was it sharp on your camera? Um, that can be nerve wracking for sure. It It's happened a few times for sure. <laughs> Um, just in closing, though, I you know to kind of bring it back around to the relationship specifically and, and making time for each other, doing things to continue to strengthen the relationship. Time um, is is really a, a big deal. We talk a lot about time here, and I know that you have a tendency to to work really hard early in the day, and then he tends to do that later in the day. Are there particular days of the week or times during the day where you're like, all right, we're setting work aside, we're we're gonna just spend time together without the computer, without the phone, without thinking about work or doing work. How do you create space for each other and for the sake of your relationship? Sure. So one thing we do is that if we have, you know, an engagement shoot or something in the morning, because we live in New York and 7 a.m. engagement shoots are the norm for us. So really? that, okay. Yeah. Uh, Cause uh, you wouldn't believe how many people want Brooklyn bridge engagement shoots. Uh. It's them. <laughs> um, and to do that, you got to go out at sunrise. So after we finish our very, very early engagement shoots, we make time for brunch. We sit down. We have like a little brunch. We usually end up talking about what we just encountered because uh, yeah. it's always a different experience. But we always make 
make a little time for breakfast or for brunch together. Every night we have dinner together. Usually it's by the warm glow of the TV just because, you know, that's something we both enjoy, but, you know, we're talking the entire time. And then one important thing that we do is we create times to look forward to. Mm. So we always have something that we're looking forward to. I'll have little countdowns on my Google Chrome to whatever the next thing is, but we'll take a trip or yeah. we'll, we'll do something like a class, like we're nerds and I'm just prefacing this, but you know, we had our date nights planned out for like eight weeks straight because we took a night class in business, in photography business at SVA in the city. Really? Yeah. And so every Monday night, you know, we would go to this three hour class and then we would have pizza with each other after. And like, that's fun. It's, it's like these, it's these little like, like activities to look forward to every week or every couple of weeks. Like we love to, we love to go out upstate into places that are a little woodsier than New York city yep. and just really, really find things to look forward to. Because I think if you have something to like, to like anticipate mm-hmm. and just like, you know how, when you have a, a nine to five job, you know, you're looking forward to the next like vacation day or whatever. Yeah. That's kind of what it is since we don't have that traditional structure of like, Oh, we get this Monday off instead. It's more like, Oh, we're taking the time to be with each other in a week. And that's exciting. You mm-hmm. know, mm-hmm. that's, that's a really great concept and idea too. And I've, I've had very similar experience with my girlfriend now who very much enjoys that she, and she works a bit more of a nine to five style job. She's in the education world. Uh, but she she talks about that very idea of having has, has talked about the importance to her of having something to look forward to. She does love to travel, and we've we've had a really great time traveling together. And so having trips that we can schedule and then ultimately look forward to gives us something exciting to it, certainly for for the sake of conversation. But ultimately, in the day to day, if something is beginning to feel a bit mundane in the work world, knowing that that trip is coming up is it, it does it gives us something um, to look forward to together. And uh, then ultimately enjoy together. So I, I can totally understand what you're talking about. And I think that's, I think that's really great. And, and it speaks to something that's been a theme on the podcast the last number of episodes, it seems. This idea of being intentional is, it's almost become kind of a cliche word these days in, in our industry, it feels like. But being intentional can make all the difference in the world, both in the, the quality of the, the business that we run and the, the success of the business that we run knowing what it is that we want and being intentional and creating a day-to-day workflow that ultimately gets us to those end goals. Same thing holds true for a relationship. If this is what we want, how do we get to that place? We have to be intentional in, in, in making that happen. You're doing that. So props to you for that and uh, to Kenneth as well. And I really appreciate you kind of you sharing your perspective on this very loaded topic. We probably spent another hour or two or three hours <laughs> if we wanted to. For sure. Um, but I really do appreciate you making time for all of us today and doing this. Can you just share one more time for myself and our listeners where we can find you all online, how we can follow you and what you're doing? Sure. Uh, my last name is hard to spell, so I hope that it will be in the show notes. But it's Absolutely. MeganBrookleman.com uh, and Megan Brookleman on Instagram, Twitter, Pinterest. And then if you like pretty pictures, you can find Brooklyn Wedding Photo on Instagram because that's primarily where we're at. And other than that, you can listen to the Photo App podcast on your favorite podcast platform. I love it. Yeah. Well, and tell me a little bit more about the the podcast and the premise of the podcast. Sure. So, I mean, photographers, as you know, need some resources that are specific to them in terms of learning and understanding about business and marketing and all those fun things that 
go into, you know, having a successful and profitable photography business. And I, you know, my focus is a lot of marketing, a lot of, and a lot of um, strategy for actual, you know, securing your business. So the guest that we have on the photo up podcast, which I'm hoping Nathan will come on. Um, uh, Yeah, the guests, you know, they range from lawyers to CPAs Mm. to, you know, creative strategists. It's, it's all sorts of fun, fun people and fun times. Cool. Well, we'll link to that in the show notes as well. And then are you, do I understand right that you're launching a magazine or have launched a magazine this year? Oh my gosh. Yes. Um, <laughs> I did launch a magazine. I used to have a fashion magazine called Atlas back in the day. Wow. Yeah. And then I finally stopped doing that after seven years, Then I got bored. So I ended up developing a New York based weddings magazine it comes out monthly, it's digital and print on demand. And it highlights kind of the vendors and the celebrations of New York that aren't just cookie cutter weddings, because New York weddings are a neat place. And if you're not spending $100,000, it doesn't matter, because you're still going to have a beautiful day. And that's kind of what I want to highlight. Well, and that's Betrothed Magazine, is that correct? Yes, correct. Sorry, didn't even mention the name. No worries at all. So it's it's that on Instagram and then betrothedmagazine.com. And um, we'll link to those in the show notes as well. It, you've got so many different things going on. I, how do you manage to like take a breath? This is this is a lot. I mean, it's it's impressive too. I mean, like we talked about earlier, which I'm sure you can relate to, a lot of it goes into the way that I was raised and sure. not not really understanding what to do with quote unquote free time. (laughs) Well, props to you for all that you have accomplished. And again, thank you for being willing to kind of share a little bit about your relationship with Kenneth and how you're making that work within the context of business. We'll link to all this information for everybody listening in at bocapodcast.com. The show notes there, Haley's been putting together. Make sure you take advantage of those. And um, thanks once again, Megan, for doing this for us. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to the Boca Podcast. Will you let us know what you thought by leaving a review of the podcast in the Apple Podcast app? And I'd love to hear from you personally with your thoughts about the podcast and suggestions about future topics and guests for the show. My email is nathan at photographersedit.com. The Boca Podcast is brought to you by Milu, the simplest way for photographers and coordinators to collaborate on shot lists and timelines for weddings, parties, and other amazing events. Visit milu, M-I-I-L-U, dot com. This podcast is also brought to you by Photographer's Edit, custom image editing for the professional photographer. Visit photographersedit.com. <laughs>